Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me tonight is... Mark Botker. Jason. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. For real this time. Andrew's back. And tonight we are talking about... Uh, Sunshine. The 2000... What fucking year was this? 2007 film. I feel like you forget the movie every time. I do. My mind goes into a lot of different places at once. Uh, but yes, tonight we're talking about the 2007 film Sunshine. But before we get into that, Ben, what is new in the world of sci-fi? So, uh, it turns out people liked Solo. There's a new fan campaign, hashtag Make Solo 2 Happen, surfacing on Twitter after the success of the Snyder Cut campaign. It's not clear where all these fans were when the movie was released in 2018, but with the success of fan campaigns nowadays, who knows? But if Disney's going to give anything a sequel, it should be Alita first. Agreed. I've seen campaigns for that, too. And actually, um, I want to say this um, the director was wearing an Alita shirt that said, um, wash your hands. We want a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Rumor is rumor is Disney's considering it right now, so. It's interesting. So I just saw something about the Snyder Cut. Uh, there was like a th- someone had made an elaborate post a couple years ago with like deep dug details about everywhere that the the Snyder Cut like propaganda was popping up, and they basically theorized that it was a publicity stunt to build hype for it to be coming out and like. A couple of years and then like everything they said came true and it came out and, like it's coming out on hbo see but that requires the snyder cut to actually be a real thing for them to just have that they can release and it's not it's a last minute publicity stunt to try and make people get hbo max because they're already recognizing that this is going to be a flop. i mean talk about last second this is a like a 20 to 22 million dollar investment isn't it yeah, they have to reshoot a shit ton because it yeah. doesn't exist. The Snyder Cut has never existed. It's not like something yeah. they could just pull out of the drawer and and just put together. No, and he never he never shot half. He didn't shoot half his script. It doesn't exist. Yeah, hmm. people are stupid. But yeah, anyway, Solo Two. <laughs> <laughs> people are We're not stupid. here to talk anyway, about solo Justice two. League. Well, um, I just, I just, it just seemed to line up with the uh, no, you right that exact thing. Oh, that's a good point, Mark. You're right, you're right. Uh, so anyway, speaking of Star Wars, due to COVID, the new Star Wars High Republic novels that no one really asked for were set, that were set to release this year have been pushed back to 2021. Uh, Charles Soule's adult novel, Light of the Jedi, and Justina Ireland's middle grade novel, Test of Courage, uh, will now be released on January 5th, 2021, and Claudia Gray's young adult novel, Into the Dark, will follow on February 2nd. Those are awful titles, though. Yeah, well, what do you expect? Like, a test of courage. I'm pretty sure there's ten Star Wars books already titled that. <laughs> it sounds like a romance novel. Actually, rumor has it, that was uh, Danny Boyle's alternate name for Sunshine, was a test of courage. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Horatio Hornblower, a test of courage in space. <laughs> in space. <laughs> and finally... 
The new trailer for Christopher Nolan's Tenet dropped on Fortnite this week because that's a thing that happens now. (laughs) The three-minute-long trailer somehow makes the plot even more incoherent, and even John David Washington has admitted the actors don't know what's going on. He says, Every day I had questions for Nolan, but he was very gracious and he answered them very calmly and patiently. It was important to the that the actors could track the story correctly so we could tell it the best way we could, and he was very patient with us. I say that very politely. Oh, boy. Uh, Warner Brothers reminded us that at the end of the trailer that there's no way in hell this movie will ever be released on video on demand, and they have claimed outside of the trailer's release that it still has a July 17th release date, <laughs> but we'll see. Well, no matter what, we're going to be there, boys. Interesting. Am I, the only, am I the only person that's like not excited for this movie? It looks like a fucking mess. If I'm remembering what the trailer was, it looked interesting. Well, if Nolan is the auteur that I know, then they just need to listen and go with it, and they'll be fine. They they were fine when they were shooting, so right. you know this is one of those. All movies. I'm saying is that in my obsession, I saw Inception nine times, and around. Viewing number six in theaters. Oh, Jesus. And around viewing, in viewing number six, I realized how many plot holes the movie has. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy hell, like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I I could, (laughs) like, we could, we could do an episode on Inception and I could go off on like how this movie doesn't make any sense. And if you like the movie, you'll hate it immediately. I was just thinking, should we ever do an episode on Inception? I don't know. Um, No. Yeah, why not? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, regardless of an episode. Yeah, for sure, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're you're gonna. I'm gonna shatter the glass for you, though. Like it will sure. ruin the movie. I mean, it I, won't make any. I like the movie, but it I, like, I don't know. I don't hold it in such a high regard that it would like break my spirit. You know. Hey, Ben, sure. really quick, can you just give me one sentence that will ruin the movie for me? Just a quick one second blurb. Go. In the deepest part of the lair, they set charges before Leo goes deeper to uh, wake themselves up from the dream, but the, they're supposed to wake themselves up from the dream outside of the dream, so it doesn't make any sense. Well, fuck. Okay, there we go. Uh, Michael Caine it, has actually been has said in an interview, every time that he's on screen, it's reality. That's what Christopher Nolan told him oh. on set. So at the oh, end, that's funny. It's, not, it's, it's reality at the end. Oh, uh, that that one was stupid. Anyway, like people were like, "What? What does it mean?" Like it means that's when he cut the camera. Like it's it's stupid. Anyway, right. that's it. Uh, we'll we'll do. We have to do an episode on Inception now. I think we have to. Um, <laughs> It'll be fun. So for all the latest and greatest sci-fi news, follow us on Facebook.com/slash Sci-Fi Cross Sections and on Twitter at SF Cross Sections. Back to you, Overlord. Thank you, Ben. Um, as I said confusingly before, uh, we are here to talk about Sunshine. Um, it was written by Alex Garland. He's actually the one that pitched it to Danny Boyle. Um, and then they pitched it to a studio. Um, for those who don't know Danny Boyle, shame on you, but he has done such movies as The Beach, 28 Days Later, uh, obviously Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, Steve Jobs, his train spotting, movies, train spotting. God, that movie was fantastic. Um, thank I you. I haven't watched it again yeah, in a long time. Earlier ones. Well, actually, no. It's like sixteen years in his career at that point. Anyways, um, so anyways, yes. Uh, written by Alex Garland, directed by Danny Boyle. Um, the budget for this movie was forty million dollars. 
the box office was $32 million. Ooh, you hate to see Ouch. that happen. Uh, I mean, I think, guys, we can kind of expect this out of this type of sci-fi movie. We're not oh, surprised yeah. here. It's super fucking weird. Yeah, I, I don't think this would stick with the, the general or uh, the common denominator, so for sure. No. In fact, from what I heard, like the whole slasher film aspect at the end was literally put in there so it'd be more appealing to american teenagers oh seriously oh that's disgusting <laughs> yep. oh, i just threw yeah, it in well, my mouth. Well, we're gonna get there yeah we'll get there <laughs> i'm sure we'll get there um yeah oh man fuck that that's that's all i have for you so ben can take us into that young synopsis what is it about sure ben? all right guys when their relationship turns sour, a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each other erased from their memories. Keep going. God damn it. I love you, Ben. God damn it. You motherfucker. What? what? You fucker. Is there something wrong? Yeah, um, Jim Carrey was in this movie, right? No, yeah, Elijah Wood was in that random movie. What? Life. Oh... I see what I did. Sorry, guys. Okay, sorry. That was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. My oh, bad. really? Wow, that's wild. <laughs> Wrong one. Now we have to cover that. Okay, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. A family determined to get their young daughter into the finals of a beauty pageant take a cross-country <laughs> trip in their VW bus. <laughs> Jason is just like I am a consummate professional and this is way better. Right, you guys me. have a good night. I don't get it. What's Talk going on? <laughs> that was right, Little Miss Sunshine. Dakota Fanning in this movie. Oh, yeah, that was Little Miss Sunshine, dude. Fuck. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah Dakota okay, Fanning, yeah. 1989. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Sorry. All right, I had them wrong alphabetized. Okay. In. Go for I just it. synopsize things for fun. In 2057, Earth's sun is dying. A group of international astronauts are sent on the mission to restart it after the first mission failed. But when the crew receives a distress beacon from their sister ship orbiting the sun, they divert their course to recover its bomb and inadvertently send their own mission into chaos. Is that it? Was that the right one? I'm, I'm I pretty sure that's the right one. Yep. That was great. Okay, cool. Wait, that that was Little Miss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Little Miss. Fuck, I'm all, I'm all fucked up today, guys. Sorry. We're just, just gonna really let's that. just go with this one, yeah. and we'll just talk about it. Yeah. Is this guys? Was this a better Wandering Earth? I didn't I watch know, the movie, so I can't maybe, tell you. Maybe. Maybe. I mean. Wait, Miller, feel, you didn't watch it either. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's 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 a worse uh, it's a worse event didn't. horizon, you think? Oh you said it's a worse absolutely. event horizon. Oh, if that's where you're going with this, it's we're a, have it's a much better event horizon. I was actually but gonna ask you, Ben, if you thought it was a better horizon. event horizon or not. It's in space and there's a spooky guy, but that's about it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, a, I saw a lot of parallels to Event Horizon yeah, throughout there's a it. I, I would definitely say there's ship. an inspiration there. Sure, a a sci-fi classic has an inspiration on a new sci-fi film, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it parallels the story in, in... Oh, not at all. Yeah. No, it's just got flavor. It's got that Event Horizon mm -hmm. flavor. Mm -hmm. like, like It's got like that Lawrence Fishburne sweat. <laughs> God, I love it. So, so the, the best I heard, chair. because I, I read a lot of 
uh, op-eds on this and analysis on this. And the best I think I've heard put was that the shadow of three films kind of hangs over Sunshine in terms of influence. 2001, Solaris, and Event Horizon. Absolutely. I mean, I think I've also heard this film described as kind of a, a survey in a way of science fiction, like the genre, because there's a lot of influences there. And Danny Boyle was pretty um, apt to, you know, want to delve into making a science fiction movie, but he's not a science fiction director in the way that I would say like Alex Garland has become a science fiction director. Uh, most of his filmography at this point is very diverse. He pretty much has one of every type of movie. And I think he's kind of built and tried to curate that type of back catalog for himself, um, which I think he's done really well. I'm, I'm a huge Danny Boyle fan. Um, but I think there's a lot of stylistic things in the movie that he was definitely going for different allusions to other kind of touchstones of science fiction cinema that he was trying to get in there because I think before this movie was even made and out to subsequently flop, unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, he knew this was going to be a one and done. He knew this was going to be his science fiction film. And I think he's gone on record to say he would never make another one because it was so draining to him emotionally. Well, also, I don't think he does anything lightly. If you actually look at what he did uh, to the cast members going into this movie, it's fucking dude, astounding. Dude. He forced them to be method actors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he made them live together. He made them read fucking books that they probably would never read in a million years. He made them go into, like, you know, the low-G airplanes where you're basically, like, weightless. Mm. He uh, made them attend lectures by the uh, renowned... Uh, popular astrophysicist uh brian cox the british guy michio kaku yep that's the one uh fuck he made them go into like nuclear submarines to just understand how claustrophobic shit is. i thought are you, you were gonna say he made them go into space if he could have feasibly done it he would have made them go into space yeah um i'm actually very impressed with the way danny boyle tried to tackle science fiction i i have another point that i wanted to make it feels like the acting style in this film is very, very, very much method, like you were saying. Like everything felt very—I hate to say the word—visceral. Everything that they, every single thing that was emoted was so, so intense. Like it was a lot more intense than I ever expect from a science fiction film. Like, but, but, but not in like a cheesy way. Right, right, and that's the thing is that they pulled off in a very realistic. Like, okay, that might be like how like. A mo an emotional person in space would reflect on that, you know, they're I, I, I don't know, it's like, it's one of those things where I noticed that the acting was very distinctive, and I think that my, that is definitely a Danny Boyle thing, is what that he likes the... oh, sorry no, I'm, I interrupted you because I thought you were I was trying to, like, jump in what was the Katie Sackhoff one we watched? <laughs> uh, I know. five of them no, no. The, the series, the short series Another Life, Another life. it's not a short series uh, not Another Life, is that right? It's getting another season. Yeah, it's got a season two sure coming. Oh, okay. Eventually. Uh, in in the same in the same life. vein, it was like that that they were all emoting strongly, but it felt like a soap opera, whereas this did not. Mm -hmm. It felt like real emotions in in this case. Very good point. Well, Mark, little known fact, but Katie Sackhoff actually played the sun. <laughs> yeah, actually, she was the sun. the center of the sci-fi solar verse. 
She plays yeah. the light of my life every day. So. <laughs> but sorry, yeah, I, I just, didn't mean to throw so, you under rhythm. Can we can we talk about skinny Benedict Wong? I mean, that threw mm. me off. That was with funny. hair. That's with hair. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what the how. Fuck? Like, I forgot how. Yeah, young, he looked uh, like how I'm gonna look in two months. I forgot how young Killian <laughs> Murphy was. This is back when uh, uh, what's his name, Captain America. Chris. Chris Evans. Chris Evans still did the sideburns thing. I thought it was Cillian Which, Murphy. Uh. Sicilian, yeah. It, it, no, it's pronounced with the hard C. It's Chilean Murphy. Oh, I always thought it was Cillian Murphy, Murphy too. And then I, I literally pronounced it wrong for a decade. Yeah. And then Colin corrected me. Um, there's his sister, I, Jillian Murphy. Oh, Killian, how about that? All right. Well, one thing I wanted to say while we're still on the cast, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, the cast for Sunshine was actually pretty much handpicked. And a lot of those roles were kind of written with people in mind. So, like, I know that uh, I think it was Michelle Yao. Um, Danny Boyle was actually such a fan of her audition for just the film in general that he basically said, any role you want is yours. Uh, we'll rewrite it if it's a female, you know, a male character and needs to be a female character, whatever. You just pick a role and do it. So, I think um, that coupled with... Obviously, Alex Garland and Danny Boyle's uh, previous work with Killian Murphy. Um, it, it definitely seemed like a lot of these roles were kind of written with these actors in mind. So I think, you know, to your point, um, both Bill and Mark, as far as like the emoting and kind of the method acting, I guess, that we see, I think that it was very intentional with the actors that were chosen for this, that uh, the ensemble cast, I guess, as it were, would be able to really kind of bring that vision to, to light and bring life to uh, Garland's script. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And I, I just wanted to mention, I feel like a very good example of what we're talking about, me and uh, me and Mark, is that uh, is the scene where, uh, I forget his name, but Benedict Wong's character, da, 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 Trey. Trey. When Trey uh, comes out and he says, I messed up, okay? Like, it was very, like... It like there were uh, so many times in like a sci-fi film where that same situation happens, and then Benedict Wong like or sorry, a tray it was emoted in such a way that it was just so real. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the acting in this film, even if the, yeah. even if some parts were really cheesy to me. I don't know. Anyway, no, that was that's that's exactly what I thought in that moment too, because they he said it, and you're like, yikes. And then he said it again. He like yelled it, mm -hmm. and it it kind of said it in a bit more. You're like, yeah, shit, that really is big. And then he like screamed it, yeah. like he mm -hmm. he kept saying like, he, like he was processing it more and more as like how big of a fuck up it was. But like it, he just kept like coming on stronger, and it I it really did lay it in thick for you, and it felt so intense. It felt like the ghost of Stanley Kubrick was right behind him, hitting him with a bat or something. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't totally get what you guys are like saying when you're like saying it's almost cheesy, but it's not. It's good. It's like in my opinion, it's just good acting. Oh, yeah, like for sure, Chris, Chris, Emf Chris Evans. Like people forget that before he was Captain America, he was a fantastic actor. And even now, after he's Captain America, like, and rolls, like, Knives Out and this new movie, uh, a new new miniseries, Defending Jacob, that I really want to see. Like, Chris Evans is fucking gold in every scene he's in. Like, I believe every second of his performance as this dude who just wants 
what's good for humanity. Well, I feel like part of that is also the writing for his character. Because they didn't lean too heavily into the aspect of, like, I'll sacrifice anything. Like, he still was human, you know? They didn't, like, gut his humanity out of the role and make him, like, the hardcore will do anything to make this mission work. Like, he still tried to save people, and he, like, sacrificed himself with no thought. He was ready to be the one to be left behind. Like, I, I feel like Absolutely. it was just good writing in the character's part, too. That's true. Absolutely. That is part of the character, you're right, yeah. And and it, it would have been so easy to write that character as, like, you know, the moment they find out that they need to kill three in order to make it to the payload, it would have been so easy to write him as a character who just starts doing it. But he doesn't. He waits. He sees things through. He's a hothead, but he's not stupid. He's in, he's an intelligent person on a spaceship who understands the necessity and the the uh, gravity of the situation. And I think that's just a refreshing change of pace. He is my favorite character in the, in the movie. I I was in it for him at this point. Oh so. man, mine was Mark Strong's character. Oh my god, shut up. So Dude, it was so, so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, I do you think that... You don't have to be sorry. You don't have to be sorry, Colin. You don't have to be sorry. His voice was just so basic. <laughs> I do love his voice. He's got such a good voice. Uh, so that's actually part of what I did like about their choice to have Mark Strong's character be like a slasher-style kind of character. Well, they wanted Sam Neill, but they couldn't get him. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the aspect of, like, you you almost don't believe it's going to happen, because you're like, that's not what this movie is. Like, it throws you for such a loop that you question, you're like, all of these characters are sitting at the table trying to talk about who did this, and they can't figure it out. And they've, like, not really led you to believe that this, like, you know, Spectre is, is like, coming on board. So you're like, who is such a good liar? Like, they've built these characters to be... Like, they haven't led you to believe it would be any of them. And you're like, what? Who did it? Like... I was it, pretty convinced it was Trey. <laughs> I don't... But they even said, like, he's been so fucked up. Like, you know. I don't know. I just... I thought it was an interesting way to... Like, I, I questioned it. Even though I wouldn't have thought any of the characters would do it. I started thinking about it, and I feel like it put you in the space of those characters in that moment of, like, I don't believe any of these people would have done this. Like, I, I just thought it was interesting. So, and they didn't. What, one thing was I mean, like yeah, I, twist, I, yeah. I, I pretty firmly disagree with you on that one, but I do get what you're saying, because, like, they had set Trey up to be the 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 breaking point. The... They made it seem like the sun psychosis kind of thing is a thing. I don't know. Light psychosis. Well, no, it's... As these people travel closer and closer to the, the sun, they're all starting to show signs of kind of going fucking nuts. Um, I don't know if it's because they're in such a close, you know, claustrophobic space, or the fact they had to live in such a close space with each other for so long, or if it's literally just the concept of the sun... I mean, Cliff Curtis's character, um, the uh, psychiatrist guy, he's literally going fucking nuts to the point where he's just, like, taking more and more, you know, sun as he sits there in that observation lounge and shit. Um, I could see, like, he could have become what Mark Strong's character was, where it's almost like a, he's worshipping the yeah. sun at this point. 
Um, he's and then, like screaming uh, in the mic, what did you see? What did you see? As like the sun's uh, coming closer to the captain. The character Cassie uh, and Kappa, they're, they're ha like when they go to sleep, all they're doing is dreaming about the sun. Or having a nightmare about the surface of the sun. So. Yeah. Which is very Solaris. It's you, all all of that was pulled from Solaris. Like, and that's kind of where I was like, I was into this movie the whole time, and but like it, it lost me at certain points where I'm just like, this is just straight rip off at this point. You, you don't even have anything original to say. Although, could I point out that maybe the fault of all of this lies in the asshole that named the mission Icarus? I literally wanted to bring up how <laughs> fatalistic this whole movie was. Um, that that was a. Uh, a conscious choice by um, I don't know if it was Garland or Boyle that named the ship Icarus, but they I said understand. they said logically you would name a ship like like the Live Forever, like you know, like Hopeful Soul or you know something, just something that's very optimistic. Apollo. But he wanted he wanted it to be named Icarus for a reason. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean it's a, it's very much a writer's choice to name it Icarus. It's not a very real choice to name it Icarus. No self respecting intelligent person would name a ship that is flying toward the sun Icarus <laughs> especially may I point out twice they did it not once but twice hey guys let's try rebranding here yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean yeah, I, I, I feel like there, there, there's a lot of cool illusions um, in this and I mean I've got literally a whole page of shit and we haven't even talked about any of it so I definitely want to bring at least some of it to uh, the table here but I think that um, you know the, the Icarus thing was like the only thing to me that's it's a little too on the nose given the <laughs> given the subject matter like I'm sure there are other things they could have called the mission especially anyone that kind of has uh, working knowledge of mythology like you know how that story ends it ain't good so you know I, I think um, that that was kind of funny to me that like absolutely to your, all of your points I think we're all on the same page there you wouldn't name the mission to the sun Icarus. <laughs> no, not even Daedalus. <laughs> um, no. Actually, I have the exact quote if you guys want me to read it real quick. Will included Icarus in the name of the ship to continue a theme of bleakness. Uh, opening that no American would give their craft such an ill-fated name. According to the director, they'd call it Spirit of Hope or Ship of Destiny. They'd call it something optimistic. In America, they would sacrifice all plausibility because there would be no hope. Or there would be hope, sorry. Uh, that's essentially mm -hmm. all Well, I mean, right. to echo that, Colin, so like th that's like one of my big things I, I feel like... I, I won't hide it, guys. Like Sunshine, I saw it in theaters in 2007. Um, I bought it immediately when it came out. It's been one of my favorite sci-fi movies for 13 years now. Oh, no. Um, so, I... I I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time. Uh, it's definitely one that resonated with me. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'll defend it. But at the same time, like, it's just a film that I feel like really, I don't know, I just connected with. Um, I think that, I don't know, like, it is, it's bleak, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a very humanistic film in the end, but it's not a very positive film. And I think from the moment that Communications Tower is destroyed because, you know, Trey forgot to input a calculation because he was rushing or whatever, uh, kind of shows the error of our ways or the fact that we're not perfect. We're not perfect beings and we're kind of reaching for the stars, which again, that age old question I always ask is, uh, you know, are we ready for it? But 
I just think like from that moment, they know they're doomed, but they still carry out the mission. And I think we we're talking about, you know, 20 minutes ago at this point, they, they still kind of echo all of these best sentiments of humanity in trying to do what's best for this greater, this greater idea. You know, they, they take it beyond just themselves and beyond the individual. It's humanity. You know, I think when they were talking about going to Icarus one or making the detour, it's, you know, all these people are expendable when you look at it in terms of the mission. Well, yeah, but I think ultimately you see that, that they're not thinking themselves at that point. They know this is a one-way ticket. They know they're not going to be coming back from this. There's no way. Uh, but I really kind of like that in a way, and I hate to say this, but it almost, it, to use a, I guess like a modern illusion here, it kind of reminds me of Underwater. You know, and yeah. Ben kind of brought mm-hmm. that up when we were discussing underwater that here you're seeing all these individuals that are just behaving selflessly and they're not thinking about it and, and they don't dwell on it. They don't say, oh, look, this guy's doing this selfless act. It's just, no, man, you know, I'm, I'm staying behind. You know, you're, you're more, you're the one that knows how to run the bomb, you know, and this is more important than my life. And then you get characters that contrast that like Harvey, which I thought was really kind of an interesting in the moment thing. So, I really like the tone. I mean, yeah. Did it connect with audiences? No. Is that partly because it's so bleak? Yeah, I'm sure. But I don't know. That that aspect of it kind of connected with me. Are you sure the reason it didn't connect with audiences is because it's bleak and not because the third act is just a fucking mess? <laughs> Because no, it's not good. Reasons. Like, I, I, like I, I, the first two acts are incredible. It's it, from... The, throughout the first two acts, I'm like, this is a grade A sci-fi film. And then Mark Strong is revealed to be on the ship. And from there, it literally swan dives into trash. It's immediately like, oh, yeah. And so, like, here's Solaris. Here's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And here's Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think Sunshine ever could reach those heights because of the third act. Because... For 13 years, that has been from the day that the film came out and the day that it started getting reviewed and analyzed up until today. You can go on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and find a review that says exactly what you just said that was written, you know, two months ago. So obviously, that's a sticking point and that's kind of like a key criticism. I think it's valid. I think it's a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand what they were trying to do with that third act and what Garland was trying to do. And I know Colin said, you know, that they added it to appeal to a certain demographic. I don't think they did. I think that was always in the cards. I understand the symbolism of what they're doing, which is a big part of kind of what I want to talk about, mm-hmm. I guess. I um, want to get into in it. Like too. The, yeah, I definitely have a lot to say but, about that. I just don't think it was I don't think it was handled or done as effectively as it could have been. And I feel like it's a disservice to the film because again, I think the the first two acts and the ending I think are incredible. I think it's it's great sci- science fiction. It really is. It's very heady, a lot of ideas which I'm sure will be the next thing we kind of touch on, but I feel like that third act kind of betrayed what the rest of the film set up. Because of the execution, I don't think ultimately the idea is necessarily not there because as you guys know, and if you don't know at this point, probably haven't been paying attention, but I love the idea of the derelict. I love the idea mm-hmm. of coming across this thing that has been floating out in space for 10 years yeah, or whatever. And you know, what went wrong? What happened? The, the space haunted house. Like I love the idea of that, even if it isn't necessarily used as a tool in a horror sense, 
I just think it's very interesting. I love like the decay. I love like the, you know, the nihility of that. Like, I just think that's, that's really an interesting device. Um, but I think it's when it shifts back to Icarus 2 and to, you know, I guess Ben's point, when you find out that Pinbaker is on board, that's when it's like, okay, how are they going to handle this? And I think they could have handled it a little bit better. A lot better even. Yeah, the thing about it is it's it's almost like they went in with a thesis of uh, fatalism or or even trying to reject fatalism because as pinbackers sort of um, it, it mirrors the whole Icarus thing where Icarus, it was doomed to fail from the beginning and then pinbackers got this sort of insane ideal that like no this was god's will for the sun to burn out humanity is supposed to end and i'm going to be the harbinger of that end you know and and it's his sort of whole thesis about like you know a man you know in a moment you know it'll just be one man and god and you know he's wondering if he's going to be that man and just i mean it's it's a rejection of fatalism in the end uh, because they obviously restart uh, the sun, um, but it's—I mean—they go about it in such a weird way. I mean, I, I totally agree with you on the third act there, Ben. Thank you, but I disagree with you. Like, I guess fatalism is—I I guess I shouldn't say disagree because fatalism is definitely a an aspect of what they're going at. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Pinbacker is obsessed with. Uh, religion in the third act so i did like this is basically all i've got to bring to the table so i'm gonna say it and then we'll we'll let this be the jason and bill show um i think that his his constant raving about god kind of cements and, and the fact that no one else discusses religion in the movie cements pinbacker as a religious symbol um and kind of the rejection of science. He sabotages a mission because he believes that this is God's will for the sun to burn out. And so he uh, is willing to let all of humanity die. I also love, you mentioned, Jason, um, the comparison to underwater. I loved that. At, at near, even the captain at the end of the day sucked it up. Like he complained, but he sucked it up. And everyone was selfless. Everyone was willing to make sacrifices. Um and everyone was willing to complete the mission and they understood my favorite concept of it all is that is that they did not matter the mission mattered the science of the process mattered the most in order to extend the life of humanity and while i i i become bothered that the conflict of the story went from man versus nature to man versus man it seems, I guess, when I talk it out, um, believable that that would become the case where we as a, a history of a culture have always gone from man versus nature to man versus man. We're always fighting the elements around us and inevitably someone will step in, usually zealots, and fight progress. And that's usually what happens. And so I get Mark Strong's inclusion and why I, I agree with Jason that I don't think it was uh, a studio insertion. I think maybe how it was handled was a studio involvement, but I don't think that Mark Strong's character existing was a studio involvement because his existence really does round it out 
it just became too slashery for me at the end of the day. But that's my thesis on the whole film is he's he he is a religious figurehead and he is fighting their progress. He is trying to stop them from fighting nature in the name of God. So I have a I have a a thing that I just I just kind of thought of. Um, you 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 focus so much on him because he is the like standing member of Icarus One, who is coming after them. But the whole crew seemingly was in their like self destruction together, which sure, I hadn't really but, like. I hadn't really processed. So, like they have that they have that reveal. And then you don't think about it after you're all you're thinking of is the captain. You're not really thinking of the rest of the crew anymore. But like you talking about that, like was did he? He's the leader of his flock. Yeah. Well, he could have convinced them, I think, um, to go along with him, or he could have sabotaged the stuff, and they might have just been resigned to their fate at that point. Mm-hmm. I think that's I, I think that's what happened. Truthfully, I think that would be my read on Icarus One. I think it was a hopeless situation, and you know that was their way of kind of I guess taking taking a different way out. Yeah, um, kind of the last exit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Ben touched on a couple things that in a roundabout way here I'm going to get at, but but here here's one that kind of I feel like might blow it open a little bit. Um, because a lot of this stuff over the years, I just picked up on my own viewings. And then as I became a little bit more analytical with science fiction and just film in general and trying to kind of get to the deeper meaning, um, some of this stuff kind of came up. So, an interesting thing I learned actually not too long ago is that... So, the two main creatives that you had on this project, be it uh, Danny Boyle, obviously director, and then Alex Garland in the writer's chair... They approached the film from two completely different viewpoints, which I thought was kind of interesting. And it wasn't really even something I was aware of. So, Alex Garland, as we all know, we've done several Alex Garland properties now on the podcast. He approached this from a very kind of atheistic standpoint. Uh, I think his initial inspiration for the screenplay was a, a journal he read in, you know, or an article he read in a scientific journal about heat death of the universe. So, he's tackling this very kind of scientifically as Alex Garland is wont to do. But what was interesting to me is Danny Boyle was raised very religious and is kind of ambivalent towards the whole religious thing just in general. He's not as, I think, staunch as maybe an opponent of it as Garland would be. Uh, He's not, you know, I I don't think like a practicing whatever he would be, but he's certainly open to the idea of a god or a higher power or whatever. So, it's kind of interesting that a lot of I think what Alex Garland was maybe trying to approach some of these these themes in in a direction where maybe he was criticizing or trying to critique in a certain way. Danny Boyle kind of balanced him out a little bit. And I thought that was reflected in some of the characters uh, really being archetypes for what I think the overall message of the film was, which to me is balance. The, the message of the film, I think, is balance and striking a balance. So, if you look at the crew, this is kind of interesting. So, I'm, I'm going to refer to my notes here. So, bear with me. So, if you look at the crew, you have eight members of the Icarus 2 crew, right? So, you have Harvey, Trey, and Mace who kind of represent your atheists or your kind of science first standpoint. They're all about data. They're all about the facts or about the numbers. You've got 
Corazon, Searle, and uh, Canada, who kind of represent your faithful, if you will. And then you have Kappa and Cassie, who are kind of moderates. They're kind of in between. They show different sides, I guess, throughout the course of the film where, you know, obviously they're very science-based, they're scientists, but they also have these moments of kind of emotion or these humanistic moments that come through. Not to say the other characters don't, but ultimately those other six characters don't make it for one reason or another. And I think Ben said something earlier that was really interesting that, you know, they, they touch on religion, but no one really speaks of religion. But I think it's kind of interesting if you look at it from that perspective, it's not necessarily religion, but it's different aspects of these characters' lives that they treat as religion. So if you look at like Coruscant's character, her plants are her religion and cultivating life is her religion. Um, and in a lot of ways, she kind of cares about that more than she cares about certain events that happen on board and certain members of the crew, certainly certain deaths that take place. Same way with Searle, you know, he's a psychologist, he's a, a medical professional, but he kind of has this obsession almost that we see like with Pinbacker's character for the son, which, you know, I think we mentioned before when uh, the captain's character, Canada, is out on the uh, the shield, you know, what is the last thing he says to him? Not, oh, thanks, Cap, really appreciate it. It's, what do you see? What do you see? So, it's like this fanatical sort of kind of devotion that he has that clouds his judgment. But I feel like the balance is, is there and the balance is really good because you see other characters who I guess could be construed as like maybe more the science-based or like the atheistic, I'm finger quoting right now, viewpoint like Harvey with a ton of character weaknesses. The whole scene in the airlock would be the first one that would spring to mind. Um, so, I think what's kind of interesting that ultimately the two characters that make it are the characters that balance out those two kind of extremes. And... Um, I don't know. I thought generally that was kind of smart, especially when you tie that into the ending, which, you know, you have Killian Murphy's character standing basically in the middle in this giant man-made, you know, bomb, this kind of monstrosity of science, right? And on one side, you have the sun, which I think is a stand-in for God, as we always kind of said. And on the other side, you have this man-made creation. He's standing right in the middle. And they're almost, I think I, I heard it put in a, a blog pretty eloquently. Um, Trying to make sure I'm citing it. So it was a uh, Chepitos Gratis is a WordPress analysis on this that I thought was actually really interesting. He said literally you have these two sides of our experience shaking hands. And in that moment, that kind of balance is there, and that's ultimately what starts the sun back and what leads to the continuance of life, at least on our planet. So, I think ultimately that's kind of like what the movie's striving for. Is it as effective as I think it could be in certain regards? No, but it's grappling with really big ideas, I think. And, you know, yeah, there's obviously setbacks. It's not a perfect film at all. But I just love that kind of depth, if you really think about it, of, uh, of symbolism that I, I think they at least go for if they don't quite make it. I will disagree on, on Harvey to an extent. I think they... They really didn't give you anything of his character before he had his like uh, moment of moment of humanity and like his lack of self sacrifice. They, I feel like the, he was the really underdeveloped character on purpose. He didn't have like a predisposition or like any reason to think that he would go one way or the other until the moment of you know decision. Otherwise, I, yeah, I like what a lot of what you had to say. 
really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, it's just a lot of illusions, and that's part of the reason I think the the story of it is so rich. Um, uh, apart from you know the obvious on the nose Icarus thing that we were kind of joking about a little bit ago, I, I think the other idea is kind of interesting. That like if you look at what we as a, a species are doing, it, it's kind of like a um, breaking free of the shackles a little bit. Because now if you think about it in terms of mythology and you kind of take the Icarus thing to its logical conclusion, so it's almost like a reversal of like the Prometheus myth. So we're returning the fire to the gods. We're, we're saying no, so we're, we're not going to accept our fate or we're not going to accept that this is the only way we're going to do something about it. But that being said... Are we, are we ready to do it? I guess I'll bring that question back. You know, are we ready to do it? We've got um, several characters who kind of react to the sun and I guess seeing the sun or seeing, you know, sunlight or the sunshine or whatever in a way that is almost kind of like primitive man and fire. We're, we're fascinated by it. And these people who I guess would be the cream of the crop of educated humans in 2057 who are on this mission to literally save the earth and save humanity are still just overcome. And obviously they have a full kind of range of emotions there. So I, I think it's it's interesting that we evolve to a certain point, but can we really reach that next plateau? So we have to at least be cognizant of the fact that these people live or grew up in a world where the sun was not what we have currently as a sun. It's very distant, it's very cold. So I guess I don't know. The fact that they're getting closer to the sun and they're actually starting to feel its warmth and actual power is, I don't know, changing them in a way. That's actually a really good point. That's something sure. I never even yeah. thought of, to tell you the truth, is, is that they, they this is some this is an experience, like, they heat, just the warmth is something that they haven't experienced. Like, they're, you know, you, you guys know, sunlight hits different than, like, sunlight warm hits different than, like, heater warm, you know? Like, totally. those fucking idiots wouldn't get it, but you and I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've been laying out on my deck for uh, the last couple of days, and I, I know how warm the sun can get. Oh, but I know. I, I, will I, also, know. I will also say, um, like Jason, you mentioned with, uh, I think you mentioned, with the sun kind of being the oldest form of religion on Earth, that's like the first thing man really started to worship, because that's, you know, that's what provided life to them the sun um and i think it's really interesting that in this film they're kind of being reduced or just brought back down to that base level of uh theology where they just there's no gods out there there's no god it's just the sun the sun is god at that point absolutely and i think that plays into pinbacker's character you know i mean that's the thing like like i said before you know it, there's a lot of archetypes and a lot of um, really like echoes of certain concepts in the characters. I mean, you could take that too. I know I mentioned the crew members, but Pinbacker would be kind of like your fundamentalist uh, kind of zealot sort of mindset where he, at this point, he's not Pinbacker anymore. He's, you know, a servant or a vessel of the sun god. You know, he basically says as much. And then you look at like the other side of that spectrum, if you wanted to get really logical and facts-driven, Icarus, the, the AI. You know, so now we're on two completely different sides of the spectrum. 
But I think what at least I respect about Sunshine is it tries to remain somewhat balanced. It's not trying to say this is the answer or this is bad, this is good. It's saying that well, us, I guess as a species, really, we, we even if we don't subscribe to one or the other, we need to understand that both are part of our human condition and our human experience and that we at least have to strive to understand what that does to us. And I feel like, you know, that might not be the an answer, I guess, or the answer, but it at least kind of gives us something to shoot for or maybe a way of understanding ourselves. I also, I, I don't know, I wanted to mention, I was just looking at this uh, Chupito's Gratis, and this is really, really cool. It's a good, it's a good article. You should read it sometime. But um, yeah, no, referencing this one, the fact that Pinbacker is really the evil presented in religion rather than religion itself. I feel like that's a really good point that you probably said in there is just like, I just want to reemphasize it is that it is the evil that can become of religion. The sort of like, instead of embracing the hope and bringing salvation to people, accelerating its demise. I feel like that's kind of, what's the difference? (laughs) I mean, if you really believe that that's salvation, then there's none, there's no difference. I, I don't know. I've always been of the of the opinion that uh, to progress as humanity, we need to forsake our spiritual shackles at the end of the day. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe that's just what I see in the film. Just like, you know, I, I connect with that more. So that's what I connect to. Because uh, that's what it seemed like, he, you know, at the end of the day. That's But I also get what Jason was getting at and... and how they everyone kind of had their own things they worship something that I was blind to during my watch I didn't really notice any of that I saw them all as strictly scientists where that that weren't affected by those things and and that this dude who was blabbering on about god like a fucking psychopath was the bad guy so it's well it's interesting too in the end it's interesting too because they we've been talking this whole time about how dynamically they've written these characters and how, you know, how well they are emoting, but they're also very like logical and in, in a lot of in a lot of situations. But this character is literally reduced down to this like one, this one driving factor, and nothing else. Like literally, not even any any physical attributes. Like they they start doing that blurring effect in the in that whole portion of the movie. Like right. you never he even get a no good form. look at him. He has there, he's, he is literally nothing but this one objective that he has like there's nothing else to his character or his personality or his physical attributes there's nothing there and like i don't know so i yeah actually that reminds me of a question for you guys did mark strong's character survive the six and a half years just being a semi mostly burnt guy alone on this ship is because he knew they would try a second time and he wanted to be there to stop the second coming of the Icarus. I think he was dead set on being the last man to be with God. As he yeah, he kind of, I think, wanted to be be that last... Yeah, like Mark was saying, he wanted to be that last man. I think he wanted to sort of ensure that um, the sun would, in fact, go out. Well, let's also keep in mind, though, that <clears throat> the... Uh, the distress signal. The distress signal was caused by the coolant failure of the sabotage. 
Uh-huh. So he he said he he did that deliberately. I would say that I don't know if it was in his head that like yes they're going to send another one. Yes, I need to stop it. But I do think he became a sort of gatekeeper in his quest to be the last human alive. He became a gatekeeper to what he saw as heaven. He he was the he was the uh, what you call him? I don't know who's the, who's the idiot at the pearly gates. Peter Saint Peter. I don't think I'm going to dignify that with a response. But, um, Peter P- um, Peter Paul and Bjorn or whatever George, they um yeah. Ringo Starr. <laughs> he was that no, dude. I mean, he was like it makes sense. It does. Well, th- well, from from a religious perspective, he couldn't commit suicide because that is a cardinal sin and then he wouldn't get to see his heaven that he had been like waiting for for so long right so is that still a cardinal sin are they still about that i thought they got over that one uh you don't normally get over things like that i thought that was one of those things that was like you know okay well maybe it's not totally a cardinal sin maybe it's like you know it's an actual disease that people have issues with and Maybe we shouldn't say that your loved one's going to hell if they killed themselves. Like, they still do that. <sighs> I'm done. Okay. I don't, so I don't want to move on. Um, so I see that in a lot of this. This is not the Catholicism <laughs> podcast. Well, the, I see that a lot of this was talking about comparing it to Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods, and bringing the fire back to the god. And just, like, giving it back and saying, hey, thanks for the help. Here's your, here's your belief. That I'm bringing back to you. I thought that was a really cool, cool little point that they made on here. Um, yeah, that was um, that was actually a part of what I brought up a little bit ago, Bill. Just because I thought that was such an apt kind of metaphor for what's happening. Because I mean, you think about it as humanity develops and as our understanding of the universe and science develops. You know, in this case, near future, we've figured out a way. And granted, too, you can talk about the science and the physics of it and that, you know, it's not very sound and a lot of it is very theoretical. Um, but at the same time that, yeah, so here's this problem we were posed that's literally astronomical, yet we've come up with a way to potentially right the ship or to fix the problem. And these are forces that we are just infinitesimal compared to. So, who are we to be able to say, oh, we're going to restart a dying star? But yet we we are. And I think that that's, you know, another kind of really important, I don't know, I guess, theme of the film is, you know, that kind of reverse Prometheus myth that have we ascended to a point where we're able to do that? And then you, I guess, ask the question, you know, the, the pinbacker question, should we? You know, of course, he takes it upon himself to be the harbinger of, you know, demise and, and as Ben said, be the gatekeeper and say, no, I'm not going to let this happen, but we have the power to do it. So, it's kind of two sides there. You know, it's you ask that question, well, what should we do? Should we just kind of let nature take its course and we die or do we take it upon ourselves to return the fire to the gods? So, that's why I thought that was brilliant. Um, I thought, I just love that article. Uh, it so sounds good. like you're reading it too, Bill, I was but it's really say, good stuff. I, I'm sorry I was reading it while you are talking. I'm sorry. I, you might have said that before. Um, but I was like looking at it um, about the uh, physics of it, which was very, very interesting to me. Um, the idea in theoretical physics of a cue ball, 
I don't know if anybody saw anything about this, but uh, but yeah, I was going to say, did we talk about this already? No, no, but yeah, okay. we okay. did not. Oh, hit it. Yeah. Got it. So the uh, so the cue ball is something that could um, they were saying like theoretically it could um, cause problems with the reactions between you know hydrogen helium and all the elements that cause fusion, which would cause you know uh, the light to shine. Um, but uh, it's very interesting that it's actually pretty pretty plausible that if you were to fly a gigantic bomb into this area and introduce enough energy, you could break up a cue ball into its component parts, thus restarting the fusion of hydrogen and all of these um, larger elements to create fusion. Which I'd, So that's like, actually, when you say the physics is spotty, it's actually not too bad. It's really not too bad. Like, Well, well they actually did consult a lot of astrophysicists on the science for this they they took a lot of uh creative liberty for the sake of you know plot devices but overall they actually uh, alex garland did do his research talk to the right people talked a lot with nasa gotcha well i mean that what i was kind of getting at with that is you know when they were consulted brian cox and they said hey so i, uh, I think alex garland you know called him up and just said hey so i got this idea for a movie how would the sun die. And he said, well, that's easy. In 5 billion years, you know, it'll expend its energy reserves. It'll, you know, turn into a, a, a giant. And then eventually, you know, you're going to have the star implode on itself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in 5 billion years. And then Garland literally just said, yeah, but how could that happen like now? So then basically what they did was, you know, it, it was probably all these great minds at whatever, you know, college campus that is mensa kind of yeah put together okay so theoretically what are some things that could happen and that's where they came up with the idea of the cue ball so that's all very theoretical so i mean again you know it's not necessarily something that we're going to be dealing with before we're all dead but uh it's something that certainly could exist i thought obviously interesting premise for a movie um and yeah, as Colin said, you know, they're going to have to take liberties just by the nature of it. It's it's entertainment. You know, it's a movie at the end of the day. But um, just the idea that we can be posed a problem like this and then come up with a solution, but yet still be hampered by our nature every step of the way. I, I think I still come back to the cir- uh, like the set of circumstances or events that kind of cause the, the domino effect from literally, okay, we're going to go to Icarus 1 because it might give us a second chance at a bomb if we need it. Don't input one calculation and literally the whole mission from that point on is just catastrophic failure after catastrophic failure because of human error and human nature. Wait, wait, wait. wait. uh, I just realized the problem wasn't that Icarus flew too close to the sun. It's that Icarus flew too close to Icarus. Oh, God. That was deep. Holy shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh you son of a bitch. And Mark, but where was Icarus? Mercury. Mercury. He was too close to Just the sun. Yeah, third rock from the sun, John yeah. Lithgow. Where was John Lithgow this whole movie? That's what I'm saying. Oh, Dead. shit. What's he in doing in general? Yeah, I don't know. He was in uh, Pet Cemetery. He was pretty good in that. It's probably the best part of that movie. Yeah, I heard it was pretty bad. It's a pretty low bar. <laughs> John Lithgow was good, but yeah. Anyway. 
I, I, I kind of like, I'm sorry. I just really quick want to talk about the style of the movie. Is that okay if we do that real quick? Or did anybody want to dive into anything? I guess. I, 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 <laughs> I think it, it at least deserves a little <laughs> footnote. <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like stylistically, I mean, it's wild. The cinematography is wild, right? Like there's a lot of interesting things that happen uh, visually, but also I feel like, um, I feel like, I don't know. I'm just obsessed with the song Adagio and D minor now. It's so good. I man, I'm so tired of Adagio and D minor. I used I to love mean, it. I loved it so much. Which song is that? It's the one where Kanata's dying and then Killian's doing something else to it and they kept using it all the time. I can't, like whenever someone's like how does Adagio and D minor go? I'm like I don't fucking yeah. know. Look it up. <laughs> but like you know it when yeah, you hear it. The dramatic dramatic chord yeah. progression. Um, Andrew, play well, that we'll song see. now. <laughs> Thanks, like, Andrew. I, 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 I will say the... That's the one, right? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 say what you were going to say. Okay. <laughs> say what you need to say. Sorry. I, w- I was just going to say, like, you know, from the technical aspect, obviously, it's a beautiful film. I thought, you know, the set design was great. The costume design was great. Just the whole aesthetic of it, the cinematography was great. Tons of effect shots, but I guess uh, this was kind of a rare thing that they went with one effects house. You guys know way more about that than I do, but I guess that was like a big deal because it took like a year of post production to yeah. Yeah. So finish. Normally, it. a film would go through multiple. Uh, you tend not to want to get companies. everything to the to the one effects house. They thing. gave it all to one because. Uh, Danny Boyle wanted more uh, control over the process. So it takes longer, but it is more efficient for control. That makes sense. Yeah, that's that's what I heard. But I will say the biggest thing for me is the music and the sound design because the just you know the the weird little beeps and boops in space and the you know the solar wind and uh, just the the sound of really the sound of the sun uh, as dumb as that sounds uh, just really. Uh, I think someone said it before, visceral, just very well done and uh, just really, really unique and really good. I think that was part of the reason I really liked the film as well early on was just the look of it. Because really, you think about it like 2007, like, I don't know. I mean, we've had some movies that were kind of like visual kind of feasts, I guess, in the last five years, maybe, you know, like the the Blade Runner 2049s and the Mad Maxes and, you know, even on uh, other kind of sci-fi, I guess, and uh, space sci-fi end. You know, really good-looking movies. Ad Astra, of course, but like this, this is kind of that in 2007. And I certainly don't know that year. You know, I mean, obviously it's 13 years ago now, but like, what was really doing it like that at that point? You know, and granted, it flopped, so that was a bummer. But uh, very similar, kind of like to Blade Runner 2049. You know, it's like you get this science fiction that is kind of heady and trippy and you know is trying to do these things or at least trying to make these big statements and no one goes to see it and granted too could be because of uh you know third act bad slasher plot but at the same time i don't know i i just really enjoy 
sci-fi like this, I guess. I find that a, a difficult excuse, maybe in like reviews, but I don't think that it came through in the if people were well willing to see it or not. Like, I don't think the way the movie ended, unless it was like you know, firsthand reviews from people to their friends, like I didn't like the ending. Don't go see it. Well, that's but, what a movie like this lives off of is firsthand reviews. This movie yeah, would not exist. Well. This doesn't do well with trailers. This movie doesn't do well with reviews. This is a tell your friends to go see this kind of movie. Period. Yeah, I mean, it did well in the press. I mean, it reviewed well. But again, I think, you know, if you have people that see it and maybe that third act was a, a bit too much for them to swallow when it came to, you know, recommending it or thinking that it stuck the landing. You know, to me, I thought, yeah, the third act kind of, you know, spotty. We all agree there. But I thought it stuck the landing, which was the most important thing. Um, and I don't know, for a lot of people, I think they tuned out at the third act, which I think is a shame. You know, it's unfortunate because I feel like it doesn't really necessarily reflect the quality of the rest of the film or the ideas that they're trying to portray. But, you know, I get it. Also, keep in mind, there are no stars in this movie. This movie had zero movie True. stars in it. Most of those people. I was, no one cares. There was one. No was gonna, one cared about these was actors. One giant star in it, but never mind. <laughs> no, I was. Really quick footnote for Jason. I just wanted to let you know that on your first viewing, you were the target audience for the third act. I just want you to understand that. So <laughs> that's not why he liked yeah, the film though. With the, your little spinner hat sitting in the movie theater, fifteen years yeah. old. I was fresh little, off of uh, my first viewing of Event Horizon. Little and, Jason uh, Voorhees. <laughs> went right into Sunshine and with my lolly and just <laughs> love beer. Kill them all. You got his... Kill them all, crispy man. <laughs> Kill them all, crispy man. <laughs> That's the That's first shirt. Make that the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> I am home. I did want to also say... Uh, True, you were talking about style, like truly something that's gonna haunt me for at least I don't know till the end of the night, until the end of the night. Um, Sam Neill's codpiece. Yeah, I'm still mm, thinking about it too. <laughs> no, that haunts me forever. Uh, it was the flashes of the crew members oh, in God. the ship. Oh, that was, was super wacky. Yeah, terrifying. Hated it. Hated love, every second oh. of it. But it was every time really, the, I loved the it. every time you know, the it was fantastic. Pointed at the camera. That's when it popped. It was really. Yeah, it was fantastic. Was really it was great. You hated it as in you loved it. Right. It was unsettling and haunting, and I didn't like it, but it was great. I, I know. We're about to jump into my favorite segment of the night, but I just want to say they did that whole Icarus 1 shit so well. Like, as soon oh, as yeah. you establish the fact that all of the dust is literally just fucking human skin, holy shit. It just made everything mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Like the dude took like the shit off his mouth. I was like, no, stop. I know they like I, none of them scared. process it either, which didn't help. Sorry. I have one question for Ben. So you told me your thoughts about the flashing, you know, the the crew member pictures, but what was your thought on the blood orgy? <laughs> That's where it really stuck with me, honestly. I just felt honestly, like it was handled like, really tastefully given, you know, the subject matter. And they didn't dwell on it that long, and then you just kind of went I'm sorry, Ben. Ben, please, please, go ahead. You know, thanks for reminding me, I guess. 
I fucking hate Event Horizon, man. Movie sucks ass. Just wait. We're covering I, it next March on Miller March Madness Two. Wait, wait, isn't the? Uh, yeah, you're never getting one. Is the TV show still coming out? I don't know. Maybe they, uh, yeah, so. nothing's like confirmedly happening. So. Right, I don't have anything to look uh, forward well, to in this COVID world except for the Event Horizon TV show. So jump, dude, bring dude, it out. Now take this time to go around the table and tell me if this was good Event Horizon or bad Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'll go first. I think this was great sci-fi. Um, you can definitely tell Alex Garland really tries to put it in sort of a plausible way he always does weird it's the same thing with devs he just reads about something really fucking weird and decides to just write a story about it um i thought he did a great job with that um jason you bring into light the fact that you said he's like the hard atheistic science and danny boyle kind of brought more of a lukewarm religious i guess feel to it um that was really cool especially when you explained the ending to me <laughs> with uh, Killian Murphy standing in between the sun and the science. Uh, I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, I think it's great sci-fi. Um, yeah, that's about it. Mark. I loved it. I don't even, like, the, the third act, I know you guys were kind of saying, like, I liked the first and second act, and the third act lost me. I, I liked it, just because it was a change of pace, and, like, thematically it was it was very different and the style of the movie changed a lot i don't i don't know i was on board for sure and i enjoyed i enjoyed the sharpness of the it was like it was like literally everything was getting more more chaotic from the start like the ramp didn't seem as big but it seemed so much sharper at the very tail end, like, the as they got closer to the sun, it just kept getting more and more and more chaotic. And I feel like maybe that was because in the beginning, it was more a dynamic between the crew members, and at the end it seemed like an outside source that was causing it. Maybe that is part of it, but I just I just liked the, the way that it ramped up and the, like, implications of its ramping. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see it as much of a as much of a uh, you know downside to the story overall. I loved every part of it. So I got to say, guys, this was magnanimous Event Horizon, <laughs> which is important because I feel like if there's anything we need more of, it's more magnanimous Event Horizon. But. In all honesty, great sci-fi. One of my favorites, honestly, uh, as far as sci-fi movies go. Probably top 10 for me. It just really resonated with me when I first saw it. I was excited about it. I remember actually being hyped for it in 2007 or 2006, kind of being aware it was coming out. So, uh, definitely lived up for me. Has aged very well. Um, I try to watch it every few years. Just watched it again today, actually. And it, it holds up just as just as well as I think it did years ago. Um, so great sci-fi love kind of Danny Boyle's take on the genre kind of unfortunate. I don't think he'll ever revisit it, but, um, you know, it, it was kind of, 
I guess, light of what to come with Alex Garland, who's kind of become one of our big guys that we really uh, follow and, and want to see where he goes next. And obviously, he went on to do great things. Not that he hadn't done great things before Sunshine, but um, I think a real dream team. A lot of great creatives coming together to make something that I think is going to stand the test of time and that history will be really kind to. So, fantastic, great, magnanimous sci-fi. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Ben. Well, I like the first and second act. The third act lost me. Um, the, Alex Garland is now two for three in losing me in the final act. Uh, so, not looking good. I'm going to watch Annihilation just to see where we land. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, but it was good sci-fi. <laughs> it was fine. It was good. I disagree with everyone saying it's great. I think those who are saying it's great need to give it more time, unless you're Jason. Um, and once you give it more time and really think back on it, you're going to realize it's really not that good unless you have it bathed in nostalgia like Jason does. Uh, <laughs> it has a lot of good ideas, but it definitely does not live up to any of its ideas by the end of it. And I think that we we would have had a lot better conversation regarding religion and, and science uh, had it been clearer in its point by the end of it. Uh, with that being said, yeah, you know, still, it's fun. Enjoy it. It's better than Event Horizon, so at least there's that. I'm done. Good side. Objectively not true. Sure. Thank you, Ben and Bill. Hey, uh, so I feel like, um, I feel like it's good sci-fi. I feel like it's, it's cool because it, it's in a lot of ways a lot more, there's a religious context to it, but I also feel like there's a, um, I don't know how, how people deal with very, very large ideas with how people deal with, um, very, very large, uh, concepts. And it's just, it, it's hard to, you know, think beyond yourself when you are, when humans are in fact an animal, you know, that, that, uh, that is not able to really interpret these big ideas. But anyway, so I thought it was good sci-fi. I thought I, I thought it was really pretty, and I had a lot of fun watching it and listening to it. Um, I thought it was at least worth a watch, definitely. Um, and uh, and yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. All right, thank you, Bill. Andrew, close us out there. Uh, I I thought it was a uh, pretty good. Um, all things considered, I mean the the third act, I guess, didn't bother me overall. Um, it was it was just a, kind of a just. A, juxtaposition from the pretty much straight uh, straight ahead that the uh, first two acts were. Um, so it kind of took me by surprise, but I, it wasn't entirely unwelcome. Um, I mean, regardless of how I feel about the movie, um, it's possible that I could be persuaded to think that Underwater was a better version of this movie. Um, mm. I can't remember exactly how I felt about Underwater. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's serviceable sci-fi. Like, I mean, like I said, I mean, I don't feel like I wasted my money seeing it. But it, it was good. I mean, I, I did like it. Um, Insert so your final say-so here. I'll make my space case right now. Uh, it was good sci-fi. I meant to have underwater. I wasn't trying to say to rush to the end. Oh, um... I was saying edi uh, editing-wise... I wasn't sure how I felt about it, and then, like, oh. magnanimous comes in, <laughs> oh, no, and then don't you edit go it back. In, just, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, people, just go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, go yeah. listen to our whole back catalog of episodes. It's COVID. 
Well, there you have it, folks. That is uh, our take on the movie Sunshine. I know Jason's been waiting a very long time to do this. Um, next week, we are covering, unless you know something goes horribly wrong, we are covering Avenue 5. Uh, so you have a week to watch that. Um, ben. What can people do on Sundays? If you're into fantasy, Dungeons and & Dragons, and or role-playing, you can join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time at twitch.tv slash onceuponatavern underscores between the words. The party just uh, wrapped up against uh, beginning a fight against an abolith um, at the end We're of last fought. session. So they're going to be fighting it at the beginning of this session on Sunday. So come watch We're people fought. die. Yeah, don't be late. Uh, Bill, what can people do if they want more sci-fi cross-sections than that one episode per week? Oh, absolutely. So uh, for sci-fi cross-sections, we are trying to ramp up and become a little bit bigger with a bigger presence, and we need your support with that. So in order to support us, uh, we would need you to go to patreon.com forward slash sci-fi cross-sections. While you are there, there's multiple tiers of uh, support, and um, we also offer a ton of bonus content. Well, I am uh, doing futurism. We're doing bonus episodes based on different movies. And so there's a lot of extra stuff if you just can't get enough. And then we also, at higher tiers, we're doing monthly requests, which we're going to do, what is it, Mars Attacks? Yeah, which we got to do this week. <laughs> yes. So we're going to do Mars Attacks this week, and we're going to uh, open that up. So that's going to be fun. So definitely worth seeing, and uh, at least give us a month. Thank you. All right. Uh, does anybody else have any news or plugs they want to do tonight? Yeah, starting to do some music stuff again as uh, we're getting a little bit more um, opened up and you know able to do stuff a little more responsibly. So obviously no shows for any of my various projects for the time being. I think we had a gig that was supposed to be in March of 2019 and it got or 2020, sorry, and it got moved to March of 2021. So that kind of blows, but I get it. Um, but I know Minds Horizon, probably not this Friday, but next Friday should have a new song out. So I will Ooh. let everyone know next week. On the horizon. Yeah. We own it. Hell yeah. Excited. All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time. <laughs>